So this conference is meant to be a conference which runs in parallel with the, the one I gave at the end of last year on, on raising our girls to be good mothers. We said then, and we, we've said many times, that in raising a child, our aim is to prepare him for his life task, his essential life task. Well, as girls must be raised with their future role as a mother in mind, so boys must be raised with their future role in the family in mind, their role as a father, as a husband. James Stenson, in his little booklet called Successful Fathers, which is very much to be recommended, writes this, The greatest challenge a man can face by far is that of raising his children well. Without exaggeration, it can be said that his success or failure at this constitutes his success or failure in life. To prepare your boys for this task with all that's at stake requires a real prudence, a real strength, and a real generosity. What we're trying to do, what we must do, is form men who will be men. We said that a woman to be a good mother must be a womanly woman. Well, a man to be a good father must be a manly man. That doesn't mean he must be Mr. Macho or a John Wayne clone, with apologies to Father Warbeau. Right. But rather that he be willing and able to, with wisdom, strength, and benevolence, lead his family. Where do we start? Well, we said he must be a manly man, a real man. And a real man is a man of duty. So we have to start with instilling in our boys a sense of responsibility. When he gets married and has children one day, he will have souls counting on him to support them, to look after them, to lead them. They will count on him. And so from an early age, we must prepare him for the weight of that responsibility by giving him already on his level from the earliest stage a sense of responsibility. We teach him from the time he's little to take care of his own affairs because that's what a man does. It's little things, cleaning up after oneself. If he's old enough to take it out of the toy box, he's old enough to put it back. Making his bed. Admiral William McRaven, who was a Navy SEAL, 
who gave a graduation address at the University of Texas last year, said, if you want to change the world, he said this to the students, if you want to change the world, start by making your bed in the morning. And he explained why. He was talking about how in his Navy SEAL training, the day started out with his superior coming into the, the, the bunk room and inspecting the bed. Was it made meticulously, perfectly? And at the time he said it seemed rather silly given all of the other things that they were asked to do and the significance of those things, that they made such a big deal out of whether or not the bed was made perfectly. But he explained to the students that he understood. To fix the bed perfectly in the morning was to start the day by accomplishing a small task. And one task accomplished, another would easily follow. And doing a little thing, granted, but doing it right, created a certain habit that would translate into doing the bigger things right. And that's why he said, if you want to change the world, start by making your bed. Not too long ago, I spoke to the boys in the morning at lineup because the, the locker room was not being properly taken care of. And it's typical, it's typical of boys, it's typical of young people. You take off what you take off and you drop it. And as long as it's not there the next day, there's not a problem. So we had someone cleaning up after them, which isn't what we want to do. So I tried to, in, in just a few words, to tell them, no, boys, look, you need to step up. It's a question simply of focus. Pay attention to what you're about. A man takes care of his own affairs. Be responsible. Be considerate of others. Don't expect somebody to pick up after you. You're a young man now. While it's very important that you as parents have that same approach, it's much easier to just pick up after them than it is to go after them and get them to clean up after themselves. And that's where we fail sometimes. So a sense of responsibility starting here. Taking care of one's own affairs. Giving the boy from, again, the earliest stage, an opportunity to contribute to the family and to know that the family is counting on him. Whether it's something as simple as bringing in the groceries, helping bring in the groceries. And that can, it can be the little three-year-old. You give him the box of, of or the container of napkins or whatever, and he carries it in, and it's big, and he thinks he's done something significant. And he has. He is contributing to the family. He's already a part of something bigger than himself, and the family's relying on him in some small way. And then as he gets older, bigger responsibilities. I remember a responsibility that was given me and my brother growing up when we were probably 10, 11. We grew up in Buffalo, south of Buffalo. Tons of snow. It was great. Uh, sort of great because you could get two, three feet of snow in a day easily, and then the, the plows would go by and pile it all up, and Dad would come home from work, and there was no place to go. You couldn't park on the road. We lived right at the top of the hill. It was dangerous. He had to get into the driveway. The driveway had to be open. My brother and I were responsible for making sure that it was open. 
every day. And the wind, we, we, there's a, a bank over next to our driveway. So the wind would rip across there. And an hour after you shoveled, it would be all right back where it was. Even if you shoveled it to the other side. So we would sometimes shovel and dad was late in coming. We had to go back out and shovel again. But you know what? We never minded it one bit. And when he got there and tried to make it up the driveway, which is always very entertaining because we were always at the windows and he had to get a good start. And sometimes the car would slide a little bit too far around or, or he'd have to back back down and he wouldn't make it down. Of course, we were ready to hop into gear and outside with our shovels and throw ashes on the ground and get him up the driveway. And we loved it. I don't remember ever complaining about it. We loved it. But we were, we were made to understand that Dad counted on us for that. And so that's the kind of thing. Here we don't get much snow, alas. Um, but there are all kinds of things that you can look to your children for with a family. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be boys' work all the time. You can, you can teach your boys how to, to cook a little bit and help in that realm as well. It doesn't hurt them. It's very important that when they fall short, if you've given them a responsibility and they fall short, it's very important that you, you make them see that there are consequences of his negligence, that the family has suffered by that, that someone has suffered by that. If, if, if his job was to put away the food after the meal and he didn't, and the milk spoiled, and the next morning, there's no milk, well then, dry cereal. And it's simply a consequence of what happened. And the whole family has dry cereal. And it's his fault, because he didn't do his job. Or the pet's not fed, well then the meal gets delayed, his own meal gets delayed, while well, he goes and does what he's supposed to do, and so on. He simply needs to see that, that his neglect of duty has its cost, that the family suffers by that. Of course, that's a negative side of things. You very much want him on the other side, on the positive side, to have a sense of real accomplishment when he does his duty. I was reading recently a study about what men consider the most important factor in job satisfaction. So this is the workplace. And of course, you've got the usual things. So money uh, is right on top of the list. Vacation, flexibility, intrinsically interesting, the work and so on. Anyway, the, the factor by far that men considered most important for their job satisfaction was that their work be appreciated. That's something to note for you wives with your husbands and his work, not just his work, but his role as the head of the family. He needs to be appreciated. But when it comes to our boys and raising them, you want them to be happy to do the tasks that are entrusted to them, to contribute to the family. Very important that appreciation be shown, that they be praised when they do a good job that they be recognized when they go above and beyond so that they have a certain pride in their work, a manly pride, a healthy pride. I have a real role here. This is significant. Of course, for that to be true, 
the tasks given to the boy must be real tasks. They must really fill a void that's, that's a genuine need. Boys want to make a difference. It's in their very nature. They want to be relied upon. They want to be someone that others can look to. And so it has to be real work. Father Bourbeau has a, a very good sense for this with the, the honor guard and the knights. It's, it's very edifying to see the, the generosity of so many of your boys in working. Well, it's not, of course, they do great camps and they have great trips and so on, but they also do a lot of work. The knights shed, as they call it, is the nicest building on campus on the inside. I don't know, if, I don't think he's had his open house yet, but when he does, if you haven't seen it, you go in there and you go, wow, tremendous work. And those boys have a real, first of all, there's, it's, it's interesting. A lot of those boys will have outgrown the nights before that building is complete. So that they're not even going to benefit themselves personally from the fact that that building is going to be their building, the knights' building. So there's a selflessness in their efforts. And there's also a brotherhood that is a consequence of their efforts. Those who have worked so hard on that building or who have come on Saturdays and they're, they're clearing out the woods. Father's well, had 50, 60 boys out there. I'm sure some of your boys have been, been part of that. And he's very proud of them. And what he said to me is it's, there's, there's a real unity that comes to boys that the boys acquire when they work together. And I think it's because of the selflessness, the selfless nature of their effort. And I think it's because they accomplished something real. That when it's done, they can look at it and say, look what we did. Look what we accomplished. And this will stay. So you look for opportunities for your boys to do real things, to accomplish real-life tasks. I remember growing up, Dad, every day, made a list of work for us to do. We boys in the family. The girls' mom would take care of. At a given point, we had enough that we didn't need the boys in the house anymore doing dishes or whatever. But Dad made sure every single day when we weren't in school, every single day we had a list of work. And it was real work that we were not always completely happy to do, but, but it was real work. Whether it was, I, I remember lots of different tasks, sanding and painting the rims of the tractor, painting the eaves of the house, uh, raking the yard, mowing the lawn, doing the garden, stacking wood, cutting wood, splitting wood, all kinds of things. There, were, there was always plenty of work to do. Not so much that we couldn't, didn't have free time, but it was real work. And we, you, you learn to work. And your boys, a lot of them, are, are really learning to work, and it's, it's a great start for them. They will have this sense of responsibility, and their future wives and their, their, the children that they have will be able to look to them. So that's the first thing, teaching this, this sense of responsibility, instilling this sense of responsibility. With that must come a sense for the care of others, thinking of others. 
we said that a true father has to be manly, while a true father also, we could say, by definition, is benevolent. Professor André Charlier says, the exercise of authority, and of course, the father, that is the head of the home, the exercise of authority begins with the practice of charity. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. What is the whole purpose of authority? It's to look after the good of others. Whether it's the good of an enterprise, or whether it's the good of a family, or whether it's the good of an individual, is to look after the good of others. And to put them first in a measure that that's necessary to take care of that good, of their good. And to do so in such a way that the ones that are entrusted respond. So there has, it's not only my goal is to help, but the way I go about striving to achieve that goal has to be a benevolent way or the souls won't respond. The exercise of authority begins with the practice of charity. It's, it's something, the devil's coup. Right? He's turned authority into a dirty word and the person in a position of authority into the bad guy. I mean, it's completely the opposite if we look at actually what authority is. And of course, we see it for a father of a family. He has to put his family first. It comes first before his career. It comes first before his relaxation. It comes first when it comes to his paycheck. It comes first when it comes even to his time. If his wife is overwhelmed and she needs a break, he has to step in the gap. He has to be there for her. If his children are troubled, he has to take time with them. He has to help them. He has to be willing to listen. He has to be willing to talk to them. He has to be willing to be interested in them. Or he'll never be able to form them, be a true father to them, or a true husband to his wife. So you see that it, it starts with being focused on the other and not on self and being willing to give of self for the good of the other. Now, is a boy born with that disposition? Well, the answer is no. Of course not. First of all, there's original sin. We tend to be selfish. But boys in particular, I wouldn't say they're more selfish than girls. They're simply different. But they're very focused on their project. It might be making a model airplane. It might be getting something built. It might be uh, catching a fish, whatever it is. Boys are just simply very much focused on their project, their agenda, what they've got to get done, what's important to them. And they can leave others in the dust in their efforts to simply accomplish what they've set out to accomplish. They also can be a bit oblivious to the fact that they're running somebody over to get done what they're trying to get done or leaving somebody without the help that, that someone needs. So we have to, from the time that our boys are little, instill in them this benevolent care for those that look to him for leadership. It doesn't start with putting people under him. It starts with how he relates to those who are over him. 
and who are on the same on a peer level with him. What you want is that that he have a concern and a care ultimately for those who need him, for the little ones that are entrusted to him, and for the mother of those little ones. So where do you start as he's growing up? Start with his mother. Start with the way he treats his mother. A boy who does not respect his mother and show goodness to his mother will not be a good husband, will not be a good father. It's long been said, for a young woman who's looking for a husband, look at how he treats his mother, and you will know how he will treat you. Well, forming that young boy to be eventually a good father and a good husband, you start with how he treats his, his mother. And you, you, of course, you fathers are the key there, because the way you treat her is the way he'll probably treat her. If you show respect and concern and care and consideration and appreciation and all those things, he will follow. But you want him to respect her. You want him to love her and to be good to her and to be helpful to her. You also want him to be simply gentlemanly and courteous to all of those that he comes in contact with. It's not something which is natural to a boy. Again, he's oblivious. But it's something you train him in. Even the simply, his sense how he responds to other people when you introduce him to someone or when someone says hello to him. Does he stop what he's doing and say hello? Does he look the person in the eye? Does he shake their hand? Or does he keep right on running and say hi and keep going? Hey, 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 come back here. Stop and say hello. Shake his hand. Look at him. You form him. This gentlemanly spirit, this, this courtesy already, saying thank you, right? knowing how to speak to adults. All of this is the beginnings of a benevolent father. Of course, you have to teach him with that, those, those manners to be genuinely unselfish, to look beyond, as we said, his own projects. And there are, there are opportunities all day long. Right? To teach him to think of others, whether at table, to, we've talked about this before. Right? He's, he's only thinking of himself, he piles up his plate, right? and then there's not enough to go around. Well, no, you correct that. Right? Or play. He's only thinking of himself, he has the ball on every play, nobody else ever touches it. Right? And so on. When there's help that's needed, to be willing to step up even when it's not his job. You, you encourage him in that direction. You guide him in that direction. You praise him when you see him go in that direction. You want him to love to be of service. It goes back again to appreciation. When he gets older, and now he has a summer job, he should be asked to contribute to church and family. I remember even as, as a little boy, we didn't have a dime uh, when we were little, but dad would give us, we had our little collection envelopes, and dad would give us a quarter to stick in there so that we would put our quarter. But then as we got older, we were expected to work for our contribution. And if we had our own money, we were encouraged from the beginning to contribute a, a bit to the church. And to the family. As a child gets older, if he has a job, 
he should contribute to the expenses of the family, buying his own school clothes, for example. If he has money, he shouldn't simply be able to go and buy sweets or gadgets or whatever. He should now be responsible, share the responsibility, instead of just fulfilling his selfish whims. He should be encouraged to, to show kindness to the family when he has the means to do so along these lines. I remember when I was, I was probably about 12, maybe 13. And dad on a Sunday said, Gerard, would you like to treat the family to ice cream? I had been working during the summer. I was so proud to do that. So we all went. We hardly ever did something like that. It was too big of a family. You know, you understand right, yourselves. Right, so we hardly ever did that. Dad offered me the opportunity. I thought that was great. I was so proud to be able to, to treat the whole family to ice cream cones. It's only an example. I'm sure you try to do things along those lines. Realize that it fits the picture. It helps form a father. You want to encourage and even require at times volunteering to help others without money being the end as your boys get older. They're always happy to work because they can get money. You want to encourage them, whether it's on campus, like we spoke of with the Knights, the Honor Guard, or whether it's not. My father Novak getting people to help out with this project or that one. Those are good things. They might be crazy things, but they're good things <laughs> in the sense that they create this willingness to give of self and not expect a return, a selfish return. So, sense of responsibility. With that, a benevolence. Beginnings of forming a father. A head of a family. A third point that's important is the development of practical skills. We've talked about this at some length for the girls who are, are going to be responsible for the domestic society of the home. But the boy has his role there too. The father has his role because there are things that a girl is not going to take care of or should not have to take care of, such as the car, such as the plumbing, such as the repair of the roof when there's a storm. And so the man must be independent in his own home and capable in his own home the same way the woman must be capable in her own home. He needs to be able to stand on his own two feet and not be obliged to run to someone for help every time there's some little problem in the home. The day may come when he has the means to simply call on someone else or he doesn't have the time to do it himself because he's got larger responsibilities. That's, that's fine. But he should have at least minimal capability and minimal understanding of what is required. And that will help him have a manly self-confidence. It's already critically important to the young man in his teen years when he knows things, when he has skills, he'll have confidence. And he will not be so inclined to simply follow where the wind of peer pressure blows. I've, I've seen that with, with young men whose fathers have given them good skills. They tend to be very confident. And it helps. 
it also will, in the long run, facilitate the respect and confidence of both his wife and his children when he is capable. And when there's a problem, they know that they can look to him as the problem solver. That makes it easier for them to respect. Obviously, it doesn't replace true character and true strength, but it helps. It's part of the picture. I remember growing up, for us, it was very much that way with our dad. We didn't have any money, so he had to learn how to do everything in the home. And it was an old home. He pretty much rebuilt it from top to bottom over many, many, many years. But he had to teach himself. He had been taught minimal skills growing up from his, from his father, but not learning how to, to run electrical wiring or fix the plumbing when the, when, and things like that. He, he, I remember Dad looking at poring over books. The series of so, such and such for dummies didn't exist back then. But it was along those lines. He went to the library and he got books out and he would pour over. I remember sometimes looking at him with them and he would point out, well, here's what's going on or here's what I think is happening here. Well, what, what happened is we grew to, if there was a problem, it was easy. Dad will fix it. There was a respect that went with that. Probably dad wished we didn't have quite so much sometimes. <laughs> so it starts again when they're very little, the boys. Right, so a lot of the old-fashioned toys that, that boys used to be given, they help in this realm. Building blocks, for example. Um, a hammer and, and nails and a saw. Um, an old motor to take apart with a screwdriver. Right, these are things that already develop in him a certain attraction for these things and already a certain interest and a certain ability as he starts to get a little bit older. At some point, you start giving him real opportunities to contribute on this level, simple carpentry or simple plumbing or simple mechanical skills or simple work on the car. And the best thing is that he's doing it with his dad. You know, if dad's gonna put in a carpet in the, in the living room, to have his boy measure out the room, pull up the old carpet during the day. Daddy comes home, and then they measure the room, and dad orders the carpet, takes the boy with them, they go to the carpet place, they order it, it's going to be in. Uh, they, they, whatever they need to do, dad works with him. The boy learns how to do it. And it's the same thing with, with the other tasks that can come along, or tasks that dad might come up with. I remember when my my little brothers, the babies of the family, who are no longer babies, but they, they were 15 and 17. And they were both very boyish boys with tons and tons of energy. And dad was a bit worn out from all that had come before at that point. So he came up with a project just to keep them busy. And he told me, I just, I want to keep them busy doing something that's worthwhile. And they need to learn some more skills. So he, he had them design and build a wood shop on our property. Not huge, maybe 20 by, by 20 or something like that. Uh, so not very big, uh, but they had to dig the foundation and they had to lay the foundation and they had to put the walls up and, they, and he had every day, so he had them draw it all out and he came and he looked at that and he corrected them and then he, he, just sort, he oversaw, sort of like a foreman, the end of each day when he came home from work, but they built that building. It's still standing, so it must have worked okay. <laughs> but you, the point is, is not that you do that on your property. The point is you want to do anything you need to do to help your boys grow 
in this area because it will help them one day as a father and as a head of a family. Very important fourth point and critical point. Teach your boys to rise above, overcome adversity. Right? As a head of a family, he will be responsible for leading. And a manly fortitude for a leader is a must. You, you fathers, you know that. Right? There, there are plenty of difficulties to be overcome. And as our world gets more and more difficult, we have to have a real strength, a real ability to stay the course, even though things are hard, even though things look like they're going completely wrong, even though things maybe even times look hopeless, we stay the course. That's what a man does. He keeps his head up and he stays the course. And for your boys, when they're married one day and they have a wife and children, those souls are going to need to be able to look up to him and to look to him in time of difficulties. He's got to be the anchor. And so for that, there has to be this intestinal fortitude. So how do we instill that in our boys? Well, sports, competitive sports, can be a help. Certainly there's a formative aspect there where we're, we're trying to form the will to be strong, to be disciplined. Of course, that's achieved to a certain extent by the training, by the practices, and so on. It's achieved to a certain extent by the, by the self-sacrifice. You know, the guy that's on the line facing somebody who's much bigger than he is right, and getting practically run over every play, but he's critical because if he's not there, the quarterback gets smashed. Right? Well, he's sacrificing himself on the field. There's something noble about that. Of course, there are also the reversals of fortune that are inherent in competition. Everything's looking great. I'm the superstar, and the next moment I'm the goat. Or we're going to win, we're going to win, we're going to win, and all of a sudden we lose. So that's formative for life because life is like that. We give our all, but it doesn't always work out the way we hope. Sometimes we fail. And it doesn't change what we have to do. We still give our all. We still keep our head up. We still stay the course. And so I would maintain that it's much, in a certain sense, it's much more formative for boys to experience losing on an athletic field than it is for them to experience winning. Nobody wants to lose. The goal is to win. But the goal really is to be prepared for life. And life is a mixture of both. And so it can be helpful learning, teaching the boys to, to lose generously and to win graciously as well, rather than gloating and lording it over the opponent. All right, so sports has its place, but there are limitations to sports. Vainglory very much and very easily enters in, especially when you're in a small fishbowl like St. Mary's. You're cheered on by the crowd. You're not at a very high level of competition. And it's very easy to think, I'm the greatest. Nobody can touch me. When in fact, it's not true at all. It's simply a question of going up a couple of levels 
And most of our boys were good boys and try hard, but they're not athletes in the sense where they're going to compete in the big time. So vainglory can enter in and, and a tendency certainly to exaggerated importance placed on athletic skill. Boys are all too happy to be the man, as they say today, when in fact the goal of sports is to form a man. In the true sense of the term, in Latin vir, a boy who has become viril, and viril in the sense that he has virtue. So you see how the, the words are all connected. And that's what we're looking for. The boys don't think along those lines so much. They just want the ball. They want to score. They want to be the man. All right, so there are limitations. And even aside from those things that we've mentioned, there's a certain artificiality about competitive sports. It's fabricated. It's controlled. It's limited. So if you have a good coach who knows what he's trying to accomplish, forming the boys, like a Father McMahon at La Salette, he knows what he's trying to do when it comes to sports. He likes to win too, don't get me wrong. But, <laughs> but he knows what he's trying to do. And he will kick a boy off the team when he's not eligible or when he's cheated, and if, even if it's his best athlete. And I, he's done it a few times. Right, because his goal is to form their soul, to form virtue in them. Well, you need coaches that, that understand that and that, that are guided in that way. But still, it doesn't always translate into real-life success. I was talking to Father Bourbeau last night about it, and he expressed his dismay at that. Not that we have particular examples here. We're talking globally. And he said, so often... You know, you have someone on the sports field who is, who's a great leader and he's tough and he doesn't give up, but that doesn't translate to the classroom. That doesn't translate to his efforts to become virtuous, to live his faith. And that's what we want. We want that transition to take place, that we want the two to be working together. So where is the answer when it comes to forming our boys to have this manly strength? Well, it's a question of allowing them to experience real-life struggle. Everyday struggle. And that doesn't mean we go out of our way to make things hard for them, make things miserable for them. It's not that at all. There are plenty of difficulties in everyday life that every child faces that we simply must allow them to face. We don't want to baby our boys. A boy who is babied becomes a man who is not virile. A man who needs constant babying. He will be a liability to his future wife who will constantly need to hold his hand in difficulty. She'll have just another child for her to take care of rather than a man for her to lean on. So we don't want to baby our boys, when they encounter a hurt, for example, the little boy, he falls and he scrapes his knee. And it's not that you don't show compassion and you're not there to clean the cut and so on, but there's a way to respond. And the way to respond is to make less of it than it is. Let's take a look. Ah, I think you're going to be okay. All right, let's get this cleaned out. Rather than, oh my gosh, I... 
I don't want to imitate. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> so you don't want to make a big deal of his little difficulties. And you don't let him be a whiner. Right? Certain temperaments are more disposed to that than others. They have a headache, I'm tired. It's normal enough. We all complain a lot more than we think we do. Right? But you don't, you encourage him not, come on, you got to toughen up. Don't let him wimp out when things are hard. On occasion, you have to require him to do things that maybe he'd rather not do. Carry through on things that at this point he's not so interested in carrying through on. Plowing through adversity, persevering in what he started. And we tend to be too easy on them. I was speaking to a teacher who, who teaches not here, but at another school in the district, and she said to me, Father, my biggest complaint as a teacher is that students so often don't do what is asked of them, and it's not hard. She said, it's not like we're, I'm overwhelming them. It's read this part of this chapter. It's write this paragraph. It's, they, don't, they just don't do it. They just They don't do it. And she said, and then at a given point, I call the parents and, and I thought they're not doing their work. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, I'll talk to them. Nothing happens. And then she said, and the report comes out and they got an F or they got a D minus. And she said, and how many times I've had parents come to me and tell me, you're too demanding. You're asking too much of them. She said, I'm not asking very much of them. I'm just giving them what they need to grow. Now, how objective is she there? I would say fairly objective because I know what we face here in our classrooms when we do our class meetings and a student is struggling and so often it's, it doesn't turn in his work. I can't get him interested in his work. We need to oblige, even though, okay, that's a classroom. It's an isolated part of his formation, but it's his duty. And it's a question of staying the course in something I'm not, I don't feel like doing right now, but you know what? It's my duty and I'm going to do it even though it's hard, even though I don't really enjoy this particular assignment or class. That's the, the intestinal fortitude that we're talking about that we need to have in our boys. You men know that there are a lot of days that you don't really feel like going into work in the morning. You know that. You mothers know there are a lot of days you don't really feel like cooking supper, but you do it and you have to do it or your family suffers. You had parents that helped form you and life has formed you. And some of you might say, you know what? If I'd had been better formed, I would be a stronger parent. I would be more consistent. I would be there more for my children, for my family. Things would be better. Okay, well, we work on where we're at. But the point of being, of, of preparing our boys for tomorrow is to understand what's going to be expected of them, of that strength, that internal strength that he's going to need to have and preparing him for that, forming him in that already. Part of it as well is making him fight his own battles. Right. On the playground, for example, here it's very difficult when it comes to the playground because the quad is very large. There are a lot of boys out there. Even if we have three or four people watching, it's impossible 
to really see everything that's going on. I've been in smaller schools, we would put two people out there and you could pretty much be aware of everything that went on on the playground. It's not possible here. And I am sure that there are things that happen on the playground that if we saw them, someone would be getting into trouble, which has its value for forming that someone. But there's something to be said too for a boy being obliged to fight his own battle. Right? Nobody's there to step in and protect him. He has to step up himself. And that's not a bad thing for him. Very important here for, not, not with regard to the playground, but with regard to just the generality of things here where we talk about not being too easy on our boys, not babying them. It's very important that the father be involved because a mother's heart is a beautiful thing, but it's not the primary factor in forming the manliness in her boy. In a certain sense, it's certainly very critical because of that chivalrous spirit that we talked about and the fact that he, he, he loves his mother. He treasures her. He's there for her. And so in that sense, yes. But in the sense of him being tough and able to, to take the hits that life will give him at times, that's the father who's going to form him in that. And that doesn't mean by beating him around. Your son will be the kind of father you are. And that needs to be strong and benevolent. That's a true father. There's got to be that goodness there. But a goodness that's forming wisely the child so that he has the strength to accomplish what he needs to accomplish in life. When we baby our boys, it creates in them, and this is it's our girls too, but we're talking here about the boys, it creates a certain mental weakness. Father Bourbeau was talking to me last night about it. He said, with some of our boys, we see that as soon as there's something hard, they wilt. He saw it on the pilgrimage a couple of times. He said it was hard. It was long. It was three days. He said, and then you see that they face something hard and they just crumble. And, and they don't just crumble. It's not that they lack generosity. It's they lack a confidence that they can face something hard and rise up and overcome it. So I can't. I can't. I can't. It's too hard. It's not too hard. Come on. Father McMahon at Lost Soleil was telling me about his, how he runs the boys, their PE. Of course, they're in a boarding school. They can do things we can't do. They can have PE after school every day. That's how they end their, their or later afternoon. And he, there's a real conditioning element to their, their PE class. And he pushes them hard in the first month of the year especially. And he warns the boys coming in, train. Do this many, many push-ups today, this many pull-ups a day, run these sprints, run this distance, and you will be fine. But they come in, invariably, a lot of them come in, they didn't do anything because they just, well, young, I can do this. And he pushes them hard. And he told me that he does it because he wants them to understand that they can do more than they think they can. They can bear more than they think they can. And that even when it seems impossible for them to keep going, they can keep going. And then in the end, he's going to pat them on the back for it. Say, well done. You stayed in there. You stood in there. You didn't give up. 
See what you can do? So he pushes them. It's the principle you apply in raising your boys. It's not, it's not the exact thing that you do. You need to go, okay, boys, from now on, you're getting up at 4.30 and you're going to go run sprints. It's not that, obviously. It's the principle of the bar is high and you can reach it. Keep reaching. Come on, I'm there to support you, encourage you, oblige you in the measure that you need to be obliged because you are capable and it will help you become strong. Father Barbeau mentioned two common pitfalls that he's seen, not just here, um, but he deals with a lot of boys around the district. Right? He's done camps for years and years as a seminarian and so on. And the two common pitfalls that he said that can easily entrap a mother particularly is an overemphasis on safety. Now, all I have to do is say that, and I, I see the defensive response. Right? <laughs> How can you overemphasize safety? It's my boy. Right? Well, yes and no. There's a, certain, there's a certain willingness to withstand difficulty that can only come when a situation is a hard one. And some of the things that, that Father tries to do with the boys, like his winter camps, for example, it's a perfect example of that. He deliberately puts them into a situation that is challenging. It's not stupid. Right? He knows what he's doing, and he has the equipment to take care of things, but it's not easy either. And the boys, what's interesting is they love that. They're so proud that they were in that situation, and they, they succeeded. Right? But we, we can be too concerned, and it's, it's part of our world, right? Because we've abandoned the souls of our children. We've abandoned the minds of our children. And so all we do is we protect them from all difficulty and from all physical harm. Not we, but our world. It's because that's all that's left. And the mother's heart still needs to play its role but now it's, it's not in a wise way. So understand me correctly, because I certainly don't want our kids climbing the water tower or doing silly things that are dangerous and that could get them really hurt. But at the same time, I do want them doing things that are hard. That are hard. Another pitfall that can, that can come into play is overprotection. And now we're on a moral level. And I've dealt with this as a priest for, for many, many years, right? Where, where a parent won't allow a child to go on camp or to go on a Eucharistic crusade day or to go to a school because they're too concerned that there might be a bad child on that camp or on that crusade day or in this school. And they want to protect their child from any difficulty of that nature, bad influence. Now there's something very good there. It's important, of course, to not expose our children to danger that they're not up to. And that's, again, look at our world. Insane. Throw everything at them from the time they're four years old with the television and the internet and the sex ed program and all the things. And it totally destroys the children. They're not equipped to handle those things, even if it was being given to them in a, in a sane way, in the sense of morality, which is not. Right? But at the same time, 
We don't want to swing the pendulum to the other direction either and say, put them in a little glass house and protect them from all struggle, from all opportunity to make a bad choice. You know how it is with health, right? They, they say, and I'm, I'm certainly not a medical person, but they say that all of this antibacterial soap is actually creating a, a vulnerability to illnesses because the, the body is not used to fighting germs as much as it used to be. It needs germs in order to develop an immunity to the difficulties that are out there and that eventually will creep through here or there. Well, it's the same thing with the soul. Our children, on the level that they're ready to take, they need the opportunity to fight a battle and to say, I'm not doing that. I'm not, no, I'm not talking that way. No, I'm not looking at that picture. And of course, again, it's not that we, we deliberately allow things so that we, no. It's, but there is human nature and there are children that maybe come from a family that's a, a checkered background or, or who, are, who are recent to tradition and they were in public school and they, okay, that's, that stuff's out there. Or you have a kid who's, maybe he's not on track. But what Father said to me yesterday, which I thought was, was well said, he said, they need an opportunity to be a leader, to say, no, come on, that's not what we're doing, let's do this. We're not going that direction, that's not what we're about. He said, and if you don't give them an opportunity to make the right choice and to lead, they never develop that ability to make the right choice and to lead. So it's a balance, it's certainly a balance, Here's where dad is very important. We Dads, you know what your boys will already face, whatever age they are, because you were a boy at one point, and you know what they will face. Now, be careful. You can't fall into the same trap that we just talked about. And I know he might make the wrong... Well, yeah, he might. But realize that in a school or in a... Um, a camp, the momentum is in the right direction. The priest is there. The teachers are there. The teaching is there. The formation is there. Everything's pushing in the right direction. Can a, can a boy choose bad friends? Yes, even in that environment. Can he make bad choices? Yes, even in that environment. But you know what? Everything's there to help him make the right choice. If he's going to make the wrong choices in an environment that's, that's meant to help him make the right choices, well, what's going to happen? What would have happened? You protect him from any choice, and then eventually at 18 he graduates and he goes into a secular college or he goes to work at wherever he goes to work, and he gets everything thrown at him immediately, all at once. Well, you, you, you realize what can happen. Right? So we need leaders who know what they're about, who know where they're going, who are willing to fight the battle, who stay the course. And it, it comes from the formation that we give them. All of this, in fact, is really more or less on a natural level. These things that we're talking about. Sense of responsibility, a sense of looking after others, a benevolence, practical skills, the, and then overcoming adversity, most of what we've talked about is on a natural level. 
Grace builds on nature. If we don't start on the natural level, there's no foundation for grace to build on. That doesn't mean we stop there. We need to go higher because our boys are meant to be Catholic men in the service of Jesus Christ. And so what we're looking for from them is a magnanimous soul, a greatness of soul. James Stenson describes that as this. It is the capacity and desire to surpass oneself, to endure and overcome anything for the sake of another's welfare. It is generosity, the drive to give the best of what one has for another's sake, while expecting little or nothing in return. Where does that kind of greatness of soul come from? It comes from conviction and an ideal. In other words, it comes from the faith. And so we have to, with all of those natural things that we're talking about here, we want to give our boys a profound sense of the greatness and the goodness of their God of the greatness and the goodness of his church, a sense for his plan for the salvation of mankind, and of the indispensable role that he, your boy, plays in the salvation of souls. There are souls that will only be saved if he is truly a man, a Catholic man. With this sense of responsibility, this care for souls, and this, this strength to stay the course. He's got to see that big picture. That his role is a beautiful role. A critical role. A boy responds to that. He wants to make a difference. We want him to see this not only on a natural level. But on a supernatural level as well. So he needs that conviction. And he needs as well an ideal to strive for. Someone to serve. And that one's Our Lady. Every boy, every man is looking for Our Lady to love, whether he knows it or not. He gets his strength from that ideal, from that womanly ideal. And the closer the woman in his life comes to that ideal, which will obviously no perfection on this earth, but the closer she comes, the greater she will be a source of strength, the more she will be a source of strength and manliness to him. But the bottom line is, you want to teach your boys to love Our Lady. She is the source of his manliness, of his manly strength on the battlefield that awaits him. I was reading the biography of Dom Gabriel Sorte. So he's a, he was a monk, um, Cistercian monk, in the, the first half of the 20th century. Well, he's a monk, but at a given moment in World War II, he was drafted by the French army. And so all of a sudden, this monk, from the shelter and the serenity and the beauty of his monastery, he was on the battlefield. He was in the midst of souls in despair, uh, impurity, uh, you name it, you can imagine. He wrote this. 
Here in this rough place, I certainly see Our Lady as my mother, but I see her even more as a virgin. I love her as the perfect virgin, the sweet virgin of the Salve Regina, the virgin of incomparable charm, who entices my heart away from all the evil that surrounds me. She was the source of his strength. And that's going to, it's the same for your boys. If they love Our Lady, which starts with the rosary, it starts with them saying their prayers truly and trying to please her. It starts with things like the knights and the honor guard and procession of the rosary. If they love her, they will be a Catholic man. And so it's to her that we look to help us to form these men, these boys, to be men who will be truly a reflection of her son. He's the most manly of men. He shouldered his responsibility for the salvation of all mankind. He carried his cross unselfishly and without complaint and with a willing heart. He laid down his life. He gave everything that he had for the care of the souls that were entrusted to him. That's a man. That's what we want from our boys. That's what we're striving to form in our boys, that kind of virtue. So we go to Our Lady to help us with that. And certainly we know that she, she will be there for us.